How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jancy. Tim, how's it going, sir? Ah, it's going good, going good. Yeah, not much more to say, honestly. Uh, kind of a boring week. Yeah? Yep, didn't do too much, but I uh, guess it's kind of worth it. I uh, did finally get around to learning how to use the NHL API, though, so that was pretty cool. Neat. Can, we, can you talk a little bit about that for those who don't know? Okay, so the NHL API is their application program interface API, which allows you to use a statistical or computer programming language such as R, Python, Java, JavaScript, whatever, to access statistics that the NHL has publicly made available. And it's incredibly detailed because basically what they give you is the game flow data. So that has... If you see it on Game Center, it's in the game flow data. So what that includes is things like goals and where they're scored for, who assist on, on them, penalties, what the penalty was, shot and shot location, game start, game stop, face off, who won, who lost. And they have that for pretty much every game. I haven't tested to see how far back it goes yet. Uh, I've mostly been just working with just kind of some little data snippets because uh, ultimately what I want to do is I want to estimate a model about how the likelihood of a coach getting fired increases based on certain adverse events that the team has throughout the season. So the first one that I wanted to test was bench minors. So how often does a team take a too many men penalty, for instance? So I figured out how to calculate that from the API and over the past, and I did that over the 27, 2018 season, 27, 2018, 2019 season, all the way through to last season. And what I noticed is that the Ottawa Senators were by far and away the team that took the most bench minors for too many men over the 2017 through 2020, 2019, 2020 seasons. And in the 2020, 2019, 2020 season, it wasn't even close. The Ottawa Senators took more too many men penalties, 18 in 60 games than any other team had in a full season. The Ottawa Senators, frankly, could not complete a goddamn line change. But at the same time, it was still only happening at a rate of about once every four games. It's cool that you can go down to that minute detail and pull up just interesting little tidbits. I think I sent you a chart after I was done dicking around with it and kind of got my result. And uh, what I'm going to probably do is uh, clean that up and maybe post it to the Twitter once it's a bit more legible. Okay, are you going to be doing this through your own Twitter crown, or are you going to be starting? I'll probably put it through Third Line Plug. Uh, yeah, because at the end of the day, yeah, what I want to do is I kind of want to make a model for predicting which coaches are going to get fired. Okay, that yeah, that'll be interesting. So basically, we can figure out when I get to do the "you're fired" voice again. Yeah, and hopefully, we have a decent log loss on it. Funny, I was talking with uh, one of my buddies who uh, now works for an NHL analytics company. Uh, and he just sent me back lol save percentage. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic, man. That's fantastic. So, Tim, I'm really excited to get together to do today's episode. Not only because we got a great cover athlete to talk about, we got some great games. I'm also back in studio for the first time in two weeks. I'm finally doing third line plug here in studio. Very nice. excited to be back here. But what I'm more excited about to do is talk about today's cover athlete. And believe me, we've got the big one here. Season five 
episode 16 in chronological order, episode 111. Yarmulke okay, Clinton. No, I'm kidding. The Daniel Alfredson <laughs> edition of the third line plug, sends gas. So just a little background about Daniel Alfredson. He was drafted 133rd overall by the Ottawa Senators in 1994. He spent 17 seasons with the Senators, recording 426 goals, 682 assists for 1,108 points in 1,178 games. He would win the Calder Trophy as Rookie of the Year in the 1995-96 season. He was named captain of the Ottawa Senators in 1999-2000, replacing Alexei Yashin. Internationally, he would win an Olympic gold medal with Sweden at the 2006 Olympics. His number 11 was also retired by the Ottawa Senators in December of 2016. So, you know, Tim, when it comes to certain cover athletes, you know, we sit here and we really banter back and forth of, okay, what can we say? Alfredson, honestly, where do you start? Yeah, no kidding. Daniel Alfredson is the quintessential Ottawa Senator. We're talking about a player who managed to go almost a point per game his entire career, had a year where he scored 43 goals in 77 games at the age of 33 and is somehow not in the Hall of Fame. But at the same time, he led those Ottawa Senators teams to Stanley Cup final appearances and uh, some of the biggest heartbreaking losses that the Senators franchise have seen outside of the 2017 playoff run. It's we could sit here, we could talk about Daniel Offerson's stats, how even, even in the years before he retired, his finishing was in elite territory that his possession metrics were still in the top half of the game. Or we could talk about some of our favorite moments. It's true. Like we like you said, we could sit here and talk about Daniel Alfredson and anything all day about him. But I think when I really look back on Alfredson, you think of a lot of firsts. Obviously, the first senator to win rookie of the year, the first senator, I believe he was the first senator to score an overtime goal in the playoffs. He was the first senator to score a hat trick in the playoffs in 98 against New Jersey. You look at over the years, you look at some of the big moments he had. Obviously, the 2005 shootout versus Toronto, the seven point game against Tampa Bay in 2008, just all these milestones. But I think for me, the moment that sticks out for me the most and sticks out for a lot of people, game five against Buffalo. Oh, where he curves around Ryan Miller. Yep. It's but, iconic, isn't it? But here's the thing. As much as iconic as the goal is, that goal, that symbolized Daniel Offerson's tenure as an Ottawa Senator in one moment. Because you have to realize the... 2006-2007 season was a year where the Senators were coming into this with the, not so much the mindset, but I think the media was really looking at the Sens of not a, will the Sens get over the hump? It's, can they get over the hump? Because if you look at the 05-06 season, coming out of the lockout, if there was one team in, of the Canadian franchises, people pegged to win the Stanley Cup, it was Ottawa. Yeah. And it's not hard to see why. When you look at that roster of the 05-06 season where, they brought in Danny Heatley. Jason Spezza played a full year. You had the last year of Chara Redden. They brought Dominic Hasek in. They brought all of these t- guys in. On paper, that is single-handedly the most talented team we've ever assembled. Yeah. And that's not even close. And I think when you look, and that's pretty, and it's funny because when you look at the 06-07 season on paper, it was not a better team. It was a, it was a downgraded team because we lost Hasek. We lost Chara. But what we kept in the main, we kept Heatley. 
So you have the cash line, Mike Fisher played incredible, but it was some of the other bottom six guys they brought in when they brought in the Mike Comries, when they brought guys like then to shore up the bottom six. And you've got to realize up until that point, the success of the senators was tied to Alfredson. Yeah. And so were their failures because especially in that six playoffs where Jason Palmerville danced around Alfie and potted the series winner against Ottawa in 06. And I think that was a year that people were going back to what I said, people were now looking at this team going, can they do it? Can they get over the hump? So coming into the 07 playoffs, you got to realize, and that it's hard for people to think about now, Daniel Alfredson almost became a player on another team. Yeah. In the 2007 season, people tend to forget that he almost got traded. That was it. And the 06 off season was of one of going, okay, what do we do with Alfie now? Because he's proven he can't do it. Time and time again, you look at all the the playoff losses against Buffalo, going 0-4 against Toronto, and now you come into the 07 playoffs. If there was one guy who dragged the Senators kicking and screaming through the playoffs, it was him. Well, that cash line was phenomenal that year. And all you have, probably the series that I remember just so strikingly is the absolute fit the Ottawa Senators caused Marty Brodeur like you have this Hall of Fame goalie just getting completely hosed almost every game by this line being stirred by Daniel Alfredson and then you go into that series against Buffalo and again a younger generation may not understand if there was a team that wasn't the Toronto Maple Leafs that had Sabre Ottawa's number it was Buffalo yeah in the same way that Pittsburgh had our number post-2007 that goal, when he scored that, you've got to realize this was 10 years of playoff failures, playoff heartbreaks, playoff shortcomings in one moment. Gone. Alfredson did it. Alfredson proved that the, he can do it. The Senators proved they could go to the finals. And their critics were silenced forever. Yeah. The only problem was... They then go into the Stanley Cup Finals and what they were known for, for being a very talented but not overly physical team, that showed in the finals when Anaheim ran them over. Although there is a very funny irony that Dominic Hasek doomed the Senators again. Because Detroit almost wrapped up the series against Anaheim when Dominic Hasek bobbles a dump in from center. And that changes the series. It's true. And even going into that Stanley Cup Finals, I think, honestly, you go back and look at that. Pretty much that series was over by the time it got to Ottawa for game three. Yeah. Because Anaheim steamrolled the Senators through the first two games. And now it's like, oh, Jesus, this is not good. So when we won game three, it was like, okay, we might have a chance. And then steamrolled game four, and they finished it off in five. Mm Mm-hmm. That's fair. Although I still hold that the referees probably probably could have kept that series in line a bit better, especially with Pronger being able to take some surprising liberties that it took to ending Dean McCammon's career for them to step in. Yeah. And I love the comment that Canuck from the Suns call-ups made because Chris Pronger's number 44 was officially retired by the St. Louis Blues. 
And he made a really funny comment. And he says that reports indicated that when the banner came up, it threw an elbow at somebody's head. <laughs> it was pretty, it was pretty funny. Now, one thing I do want to talk two actually two things I want to talk about when it comes to Alfie is over the last couple of years, we've seen that the senators and the financial problems of UG Melnick. And for a while, I think we had kind of heard rumblings and rumors about something not being right with Eugene. A lot of people still point to Daniel Alfredson walking as the moment of going, okay, there's seriously something wrong here. Yeah, and I think that was a shock to everyone's system. Where you have this, he walks out the first time when the senators don't sign signed to a nice contract to end his career. The He comes back. We give him the keys to the city. Beautiful retirement. And then all of a sudden, he's out again. And all you can really look at is what's going on in that organization, especially once Brian Murray is no longer there to manage up. It is true. And it's unfortunate that Brian Murray really, he got the brunt of the bullshit from everybody when Alfredson walked out the door. Because honestly, it, they were haggling over what, quarter half a million dollars if that for what one year that's all Alfredson wanted was one year and he would have finished his career yeah now the final thing I want to talk about and it's something again we've talked about this in the past but I think we got to officially talk about for one final time Daniel Alfredson hockey hall of fame snub this is a player who when you just base solely on his numbers and where he got drafted. If he had played on, I would say a majority of any other team, he would be in the hall of fame today. Yeah. I think there are a few things that really hold him back. Number, and I've said this in the past, number one, the lack of individual awards, but another thing that really holds Alfredson back. And this is where I think a lot of people don't tend to think about because people always complained about Matt Sundin going in first year. Yeah, And Matt Sundin, like Alfredson, very, very short of individual awards. But look at Matt Sundin's numbers here, year by year. He was a consistent 80-point guy. And Matt Sundin was a guy who, again, first overall pick, captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs, great player, great leader. He was very much like Alfredson. Alfredson and Sundin were very much... Similar players. Very similar. Maybe not so much from a skill standpoint, but just how they conducted themselves, how they carried their teams. But the thing is, Alfredson took them to the finals. Alfredson won division titles. He won the division. He won the conference. He, you know, president's trophy. The problem with Alfredson is that if you look, really look at his numbers, take away the cash line years. If you just solely look at those numbers, do those numbers scream Hall of Fame? Because he was a consistent 60-point guy. Well, it's tough because the cash line is assembled in 0506. Yep. 0304, 80 points. 0203, 78, 71, 70. So it's like the guy's clearly able to clearly able to carry a line. He's still clicking at about a point per game. And even before the cash line, he was flirting with 40 goals. Yeah, but the thing is, and without- after the cash line, too, when we get to 2000. 0809 after Heatley's gone, 74, 09, 10, 71. So again, he's still able to produce a lot. Yeah, but the thing is with Alfredson really is that I think if 
if Daniel Everson had did everything in his career and he had numbers like Matt Sindian offensively, he'd be in the Hall of Fame today. Probably. No question. Because again, you he won an Olympic gold medal. He won rookie of the year. There's always been the conspiracy that there's a Toronto bias against Alfredson, which to a degree, I'm sure you probably could make an argument. But the thing is, a lot of the writers are what not even from toronto yeah no i don't think it's anti-toronto i think it's just uh, the writers don't pay a ton of attention to ottawa and like when you watch Sportsnet, it shows i think the one thing that is a little surprising though is there's a lot of guys in the hall of fame who never made it in far as the as far in the playoffs as alfredson has like the guy at least got to the stanley cup finals once and I mean, over the last couple of years, like we've, we bitched and moaned about Carbono and Kevin Lowe, which I still maintain. That's one of the biggest jokes right there. Oh but, yeah, that know, one's bad. But at the end of the day, there's a, look at some of the players and look at the people in the front office of the Ottawa Senators. There's some pretty big name Hall of Fame talent that's not in the Hall of Fame, outside yeah. of Alfie. The two big ones, Brian, the late Brian Murray and the late John Muckler. Two guys who were instrumental in not only building the Sens to where they are, but Brian Murray built up the Anaheim Mighty Ducks to a stack of finals in parents 2003. The Buffalo Sabres, John Muckler had a huge hand in that. He was the guy who made all the deals in Buffalo. And look how far they went, right? In especially 1999 when they went to the Stanley Cup finals with Dominic Isaac. As we said in the episode where we commemorated the life of uh, John Muckler, he was a guy who did not get anywhere near the respect that he deserved just because the teams that he's built, despite how good they were, they never got a cup. Although you could you could argue that Brian Murray built the base of the Ducks that won in 2007. Yeah, and, and also Brian Murray also had a hand in Detroit as well. Yeah. No, but Daniel Alfredson is between him and the French connection in Buffalo, probably the best player is not currently in the NHL Hall of Fame. Yeah. Well, I think Gilbert Perot, I think he's the only one in the Hall of Fame right now. Yeah. But the other two, I think Robert and Lafontaine. Paul Martin. I want to say from the 70s. I think Lafontaine is Lafontaine in the Hall of Fame. I don't think he is. I don't think he is. No. He's kind of like Terjean. I don't because Terjean's not in the Hall of Fame. I no. think he's still like the best. I think he still has like the highest point total of any player not in the Hall of Fame. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> exactly. Now, of course, after all these talk, and we've talked in the past about the potential of Daniel Alfredson being the next owner of the Sens. And I said it in the past. I says, you know what? If Daniel Alfredson is in a group that buys the Sens. Again, I have to harp on wrestling. I said, it could look at how WCW ran their business in the 80s, 80s yeah. and 90s, where you had Ted Turner, the head of Turner Broadcasting, the guy with all the money. He pumped all the money into it, and he had a guy who was kind of the face of all of it, in Eric Bischoff. Daniel could be like Bischoff. It could be. Although, you know, we do have a bit of sense bias when we argue that uh, Alfredson should be in the Hall of Fame. Because Rod Brindamore isn't in there. And Brindamore is, yeah, Brindamore is not in the Hall of Fame. Despite him being a Stanley Cup winner, a two-time Selkie winner. And also has a gold medal and 1,100 points. 
Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I, so wonder, I wonder, even if we weren't Sens fans, if we would still argue this way about Alfredson, though. Yeah, so it's like once you see guys like Rod Brindamore aren't in the Hall of Fame, it does make the argument a little harder. Mm-hmm. But then a lot of guys around Brindamore, like Bobby Hall, Sergei Fedorov, Dino Cicerelli, are in. But sure. Brindamore just seems like seems like an auto mission. Yeah, he seems very much like uh how do I say he kind of like a car he was like he was like Carbono. He he very defensive minded, had, had some offensive skill to him. I'm trying not to sell Rod the Bod short here, but yeah. but yeah, I'm I'm actually got, I'm not that surprised he's not in the Hall of Fame because what well, I, I guess think he of, doesn't have the Olympic gold. That's true. I think with Brenda Moore, I think when you look at the team that he played on, there was guys on that team that were way bigger names. Brenda mm-hmm. Moore was kind of like, I'm trying to think of the word here. He was kind of like a secondary option to them. Right. Behind a hundred point Eric Stahl. Yeah. And even the Legion of Doom in Philadelphia with Lindros, Renberg and John LeClaire. Yeah. It's just, he's definitely more, I think, Rod Brindamore would be a deserving Guy Carbono. Is that a fair way to phrase that? Well, in a way, because I think Carbono also was the captain of the Habs too, right? But yeah. again, Rod Rod Brendamore was the captain of the Hurricanes who won a cup too. Yeah. And we'll and I think I think Brendamore played on the O2 Hurricanes too. I think he played on both yes. Hurricane Cup Cup run teams, so uh, yeah, because he was out of Philadelphia in 2000. Yeah, did you ever hear the story about why? Yep. That's nasty. That's greasy, eh? And that one's true, too, right? Well, it's also like Brendan Shanahan and Craig Janney. Wait. Was Shanahan the cuck or the cucky? He was the cucky. He uh, was sleeping with uh, Craig Janney's wife. And he married her. <laughs> I guess this is hard though because this is the NHL which has a recorded instance of Uncle Dad. I was gonna say with Bruder. So it's like as much as it's like, oh, it sucks that you're sleeping with your teammate's wife. It's not you stole your brother's wife. Like that's on such another fucking level. That's some Springer stuff, man. That is yeah. Oh god, that's greasy, eh? Oh, sweet Jesus. (laughs) So, Tim, even though we can sit here and talk about Danny Alfredson all day long, we got to plug next week's cover athlete because next week's cover athlete poll for season five, episode 16 in chronological order, episode 112. Now, we got three names on the board, Tim, and there's three names that represent three different eras of the Ottawa Senators. We have Neil Brady, Mike Fisher, and Shane Pinto. You know what's bad? In my brain, for some reason, Yorkie was number 12. That Jason, is not Jason York. York. That is not the case. But for some reason, my brain's like, yeah, we can vote for Jason York. It'll be great to talk about how Brady Kachuk almost took his record. I was no. going to bring that up, too. Yeah. <laughs> I love that Jason York's Twitter account. He has a picture of him in the, the flying, what, not the flying V, the um, wide, wild wing duck from the cartoon. Yeah. God, that was such an ugly jersey. Why, why did we think that was okay? That's like if you've ever seen the LA Kings Burger King jersey. It's like, why would you think this was a good idea? <laughs> See, even I know people bitch about the Fisherman jersey with the Islanders, but I mean, 
at least that looks like a freaking sports team jersey. Yeah. It's not like the Burger King thing. Or uh, we've we've done jersey episodes before, so I think we should leave it here. But God. Absolutely, man. Oh God. If anybody can go back and find that jersey episode that we did, I don't remember. How many years ago was that? Three, four years, probably. We we have to go that, back now. That was an early bonus episode. I know. God, we, were, were we ever that young, Tim? Yeah, we would have been like 23, 24. No, God, we were 26 in our mid 20s. Yeah, cause, well, we did our first set of bonus episodes in 2017. Yeah, we were 25. Yeah. Yeah, okay, I lost a year somewhere. Damn, we were young. (laughs) All right. Insane, man. Now, even though usually I would ask how your week's been going, I know that not too much has been going on with it for yourself this week. I'm going to talk a little bit about my week because one of the big things that came out from this week was the Bell Let's Talk Day. And for those who don't know, the Bell Let's Talk Day is an initiative started by Bell Media in – an effort to promote and support mental health. And for the last several years, I've been a supporter of it, given my issues with mental health. I've been very open about it here on the show. This year I decided to not support it. Okay. Now this is not some sort of like me being like, you know, trying to be all high and mighty. It's just for myself. I just couldn't bring myself to do it this year. And I'll explain why. Yeah, yeah, go for it. And I, and I made a post about this. And I'll actually bring up the post here because honestly, I think it's really appropriate that I bring this up for the listeners. If you didn't get a chance to see it, I'm going to bring it up right now. And this is what I wrote on the Thursday. Now, let's see. Here it is. Okay, so here's the from January 26th. Hey, everybody. Hope you're all having a good Wednesday. I'm writing this today to give my thoughts on the Bell Let's Talk Day. As many of you know, today, January 26, 2022, is the Bell Let's Talk Day, a program started by Bell Canada designed to break the silence of and support mental health in Canada. Four years, I openly supported it, given my issues with mental health in the past. However, this year, I will not be supporting the Bell Let's Talk Day. Now, hear me out. I do support what the day is meant to represent. However, I can't bring myself to support Bell after they laid off hundreds of people following their Let's Talk Day in 2021, most notably former TSN sports sportscaster Dan O'Toole following a well-publicized breakdown in 2020. This post is not to shame anyone into supporting or is to not shame anybody into not supporting it. This is simply me giving my reasons as to why I won't be. If you do choose to support a different organization or program, there are many to choose from programs like Heads Up Guys and Heads Up Guys to do it for Darren are just a couple that I support personally. And no. That's what I really, and I saw a number of posts about this on social media because I, I obviously wasn't the only one who was very open about it. And I just said, you know what? That's just so shitty of what they did to Toolsy. The shit can Brent Wallace, the Tasha Staniszewski lost her job at TSN. And these were all in a couple of weeks after the Bell at Sock Day. Yeah. And it's another thing that I always find fun about Bell, given that, is it Bell or Rogers that owns uh, TSN? I think it's Bell, Bell Media portfolio. Yeah, Rogers, the, Rogers owns Sportsnet. Right. Bell owns TSN. You have this company that went and made a ton of money just 
following Antonio Brown for a while after the dude clearly had a mental break and then goes, but let's talk. So there's the duality here of we're still going to make mental health a spectacle, but we're going to try and absolve ourselves. So yeah, I completely get and agree with your reasoning for not supporting it. And honestly, outside of TSN, I didn't see anyone talk about Bell Let's Talk this year. No. So I think they alienated a lot of people. They did. They pissed off a lot of people last year with their comments. And, you know, and obviously when I made that post, like Heads Up Guys was one of them. They're out of the University of British Columbia. They're for men's mental health. And through Third Line Plug, obviously the Do It For Darren campaign, which is great great program out of Ottawa for mental health for youth started yeah. obviously by the Richardson family following Darren Richardson's suicide. But no, I gave my reasonings and and I know somebody I work with for saying to my girlfriend says, you know what, that's a really cool thing that he did. And he's very honest. And look, and I put it up on my, all my social medias. And I just, Hey, look, here's my reasonings. Why you don't have, if you don't believe it, that's fine. But this is why I'm doing it. Yeah. And I've always been a little skeptical of bill let's help it sorry let's talk day just because it is they probably just earmark a bunch of money that was going to tax write-offs to any well i don't i shouldn't be so cynical i sh, it's always a bit hard to tell what a company's actually doing when it comes to moving large amounts of money like that but it always it always felt a little shallow mm-hmm. well, well correct me if i'm wrong but didn't bell get a bunch of the covid money too what they did but that's a separate issue a separate issue okay because that's more, Bell took a bunch of uh, money that was intended to keep employees on and then fired a bunch of people. Yeah, and I guess uh, for people in the Calgary area, if you're interested in mental health initiatives, check out uh, the Calgary Health Foundation's mental health page. Absolutely. So given I just talked about my week, actually one last thing I do want to talk about is I obviously dealt with some, not, not me personally, but my family had some COVID issues the last week and I went and got my booster shot today. So I, here's the thing. And I, I went to do it more because I work at a school and we've got students that have COVID right now. Yes. And, and I, I know people for, for some people, the booster shot thingy is just, it's a bit of an issue for people and that's fine. I'm not going to get into that, but for myself, I just felt it was right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Just to protect myself, right? So I did that. So Tim, let's talk about last week's episode, because honestly, it was the first episode in a very long time that I did not record in studio. And it was really funny because again, I was at my girlfriend's place and she was out in the living room watching the Flames game. I can't remember who they're playing, like the Rangers or somebody that night. And so I'm in her office doing the podcast and she's a listener and she was laughing. She's just going, you know, she hears the little like moments of me going the Stutzla and yelling hot Sambaccio. And she's just like, oh, that's right. Because he puts the DJ horn in editing. <laughs> he was waiting for the DJ horn and she realized, oh yeah, that's right. He doesn't put that in until editing. You used to not do that, right? I used, you know... I used to do it just to annoy you. I think that's what it came yeah, yeah, yeah. out. You were so, so not a fan. I, I love the fucking reaction. You just looked at me. You're like, you know, I'm not a soundboards guy. I know you No, I don't think we were doing audio. I think we were doing it through audio and you just have this in your voice. You're like, really? Tay? Yeah. <laughs> like I swear third lot. Sorry. Wild Wild Weiss. 
not a single soundboard clip has been used yeah. in one year run of the show. And I'm proud of it. Yeah. But the thing is, even for third line plug, like even the DJ horn is used tastefully now. Yeah. yeah. And every so often we do get the, we do get the stop, stop. He's already dead. Which and is I, appropriate. And I did appreciate what we, <laughs> the curb your enthusiasm theme playing in the background. For the Sabres. For the Sabres. Oh, it's, God, is that coming? Oh, I don't know. I wasn't thinking about that, but. Oh, you could surprise me here, Tay. That's true, man. That is true. Now, talk about last week's episode. Did you get a chance to listen to it all? Uh, no, I didn't. Yeah, me neither. I don't know, but I think, I think for me, and I think I've been talked about this in the past, is that once I'm done the episode, I never go back to listen to it. It's funny because... I find I'll go back and listen to old episodes of Wild Wild Weiss, mostly because people will be like, Tim, what the hell were you talking about? And I'll be like forced to defend my thought process. So I have to remember what the hell I actually said. Yeah. But I think for us, I think it's really cool because we have an interaction on Twitter, whether it be from McKinnon or Nick or Adam. And it's just like, oh, yeah, that's really funny. Like, remember the time we were talking about lawnmowers? And Mac, and Mac was just like, or was it Weed Whackers? And he goes, no. You yeah, Weed Whackers, yeah. Them. You're like, no, man, just get one of these. Good. And I'm not going to lie. That is a really good Weed Whacker. Yeah, no, that thing's been great. Is this become third line plug lore now, Tim? Are, are we going back to this? Is the Weed Whacker, is the weed whacker lore? Um, well, I mean, if we bring it up more than once, I think it, it's considered lore. Right. It's like sugar from YTV. Or silicon nut sacks. There you go. Actually, it was funny because somebody found this TikTok. I think Adam Adam sent me this TikTok. It was somebody, it was like an old clip of YTV with sugar. Oh, no. And sugar was the one reacting to it. And I was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> that is pretty nice. Actually, sorry, speaking about Dan O'Toole. So Dan O'Toole just came out with his new podcast, Boomsies. Okay. And it's his first project he's worked on since he left TS, since he got let go by TSN. Now, episode two, he actually made a really interesting list, his dream food court. Dream food court? Yeah. So, you know, when you go like the mall or whatever, yeah, yeah. You see, like the food court, obviously we all know what it is, you know, and they have the obvious, they have like the, you know, KFC or Dairy Queen or whatever they have, right? And some of the ideas I heard were really fascinating. Like I heard Wendy's. I have never seen a Wendy's in a food court. Burger King. I don't like Burger King. I think that's, I've never, I haven't had it in a long time. I've seen a, I've been to a food court Burger King in the UK. Mm -hmm. Do not go to a food court Burger King in the UK. You know what's really it's interesting? disgusting. You know what nobody mentioned? McDonald's. You know what's weird? I've seen mall McDonald's, yeah. but I have never seen the mall McDonald's in the food court. Hmm. It's always its own, like its own uh, stock kiosk in the mall or its own store outlet in the mall. Same with Starbucks. Yeah, probably because the licensing would be so much that they couldn't even afford it, right? Yeah. But here is my three. I emailed Dan. And here's three of my suggestions. Ready for this? All right. Beaver Tails. Nice. Halifax style donairs. 
I like Halifax style donairs. No, no, I, I agree with you. I like Halifax style donairs, but it's on the knife's edge. It could either be fantastic or why did I order this? Yep. Sagon subs in town. The last one. And I don't know. Cause you don't, I haven't seen one in a long time. Swish LA. Had a food court. I always thought it was like a sit down thing. Yeah. But I mean, if you just get like a small order of chicken and fries or whatever the hell they order. I guess if they made like chicken, like they did like chicken wraps and stuff, it could work, but yeah. I don't know. Well, I guess food, like I've seen mall food courts are trying to upscale a bit. Mm-hmm. Like at the Eaton Center, they're bringing in a lot more Korean street foods or Koreans, even some sort of Korean stews, like more Thai and that sort of stuff. So maybe you could get away with a Swiss chalet. Yeah. But yeah, I it's done. Just out of curiosity, if you had to do a, a, a dream food court, do you have, off the top of your head, do you have any suggestions that you would throw in? I'm not going to lie. I haven't had like mall fast food in years. Yeah. Because typically if I'm going out for food, I'm going to, oh God, Tim, the yuppies coming out. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I'm usually going to local eateries or sit down restaurants or that sort of thing, but mall food court. I'd probably see if they could put a Popeye's in there. Victoria has one now. Oh yeah. It's on uh, McKenzie. It's by the university. It's brilliant. I know it's over by uh, Tuscany village. Uh, My dad went there. He said, it's awesome. Oh yeah. We've had Popeye's in Calgary for a while now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Popeye's would be a definite in uh, like a hole in the wall pizza place. Yeah. And it's got to be like shitty New York pizza. So maybe Sparrow. Okay. It, now here's the question I want to add. You know, with the, like the mall food courts, what is one thing you would get rid of? Uh, I never go to Orange Julius. Fuck Orange Julius. Well, Orange Julius is now just a part of Dairy Queen anyways. Okay, that's fair. And oh, Dairy Queen's got to be an auto ad then. Because if I'm going for shitty ice cream, Dairy Queen's my play. Funny enough, I actually bought a box of Buster Bars. I forgot how huge they are, man. I'm eating them. I look at Katrina like, good fucking Lord, look at the size of this thing. Well, we've got coupons for half off, for half off the price of a box of Dilly Bars. I'm like... Chelsea, we're using those. And she's like, yeah. And then we just keep forgetting to use them because like the DQ ice cream sandwiches are fucking massive too. And yeah. it used to be daily bars or the ice cream sandwiches. So you go to the ice cream sandwich every time because that's a value play. And then they were got really ice cream sandwich. Were you there? The, were you there the day when we were in high school when Kyle made me eat that entire cake to myself? Yes. Yeah. Y- you did not look good. I did not. It was like when you chugged that two liter of Coke that we bet you on. Yeah. I did it. You did. Now, here's one thing. And this is one thing I've... I look at it and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, that would be good. But I eat it and I just think it's really overrated. New York fries. I have never had New York fries. I don't I, I don't like New York fries. It's just it's just fries. I, I get it. It's in the name. Yeah. If New York fries had like a burger or sandwich or something attached to it, be all right. Or they were like standout fries somehow. Because, you know, it's just like frozen potatoes. It might as well be McCain's. Right? What if, like, like if you're going to do New York fries, what if it's like McDonald's fries? Because McDonald's fries are the king. Really hot, really salty yeah, yeah. McDonald's fries? Like, if I'm going for, like, sh- like shitty potato food, yeah, it's hard to beat McDonald's fries. Yeah, I'm definitely going to go, like, if I had to go, like, the dream fast food, 
Wendy's burger, McDonald's fries. Yeah. Yeah, no, we can, we can go with that. Yeah. Holy you know, crap. We've spent 45 minutes talking about fast food, our week, and Daniel Alfredson. Hey, well, you know what, Tim? The only way that could be any better is by segueing to this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. Nice. How do you like that segue, man? Look at that. It got us out of uh, whatever the fuck we were talking about. Hey, you know what, though? It worked. Yep. It worked, and it was great. Speaking of something that was great and worked, we got to give a quick shout-out to Philadelphia Flyers defenseman Keith Yandel, who passed Doug Jarvis for the longest Ironman streak in NHL history at 965 games. Yandel, drafted 105th overall by the Arizona Coyotes in 2005, had recorded 13 assists in 43 games for Philadelphia at the time of the story. The Ironman streak is one that... I've been oddly fascinated about over the years because when I was growing up, hockey, obviously hockey had the Jarvis one, but it was never really mentioned when I was growing up. The one Ironman streak that got mentioned was Cal Ripken jr. I think he, I think he played 25 or 2600 games straight. Which for baseball is insane. Yeah. Because like even the pitchers might not play every other game. No, well, they can't, right? When they're throwing yeah. 100 pitches at 100 miles an hour, right? yeah. yeah, like at, like quarterbacks can do it because quarterbacks generally, depending on the system you play in, you only throw maybe 30 passes. Well, you're throwing 30 passes, and if your D line is good, you're you're not exactly in the highest amount of injury risk, but you're not in the highest amount of injury risk. However. If your D line is even average, yeah, you're getting crushed in the pocket. Oh yeah, yeah. Unless you're like Russell Wilson, who can just run like nothing, right? So yeah. But no, that's a really cool story about Keith Yandel. And I does this excuse me? Does this include playoff games too, or just regular season? I don't know. I'll have to look into it. One thing that I found really interesting is you can look at the type of situation that a player's in and determine how much a coach trusts him. So if it's in a high leverage situation, either the team really needs to score or the team really needs to protect the lead. Yeah. And the players out there, you can tell that the players trust a lot in Philadelphia. Keith Yandel is put out in neither of those situations. Uh, according to hockey viz, he's in the, why are you here? Quadrant. Well, Keith Yandel is more of the power place quarterback anyway. So. Yeah, but his moments, his minutes have been on a steady decline throughout this season to the point where I think now that the Ironman streak is in the record books, he might be liable for a healthy scratch because it looks like he was getting minutes game to game just to keep the streak alive. Yeah, I think there was a story that came out when Yandel was in Florida and Joel Quenville was going to scratch him for this season opener and the all the players went to... Quenville, it was like, no, you can't do this. Yeah. He's got the streak going. But it really goes to show just how robust of a player Keith Yandel is because as an offensive defenseman, you're going to get hit and hard. So we also got to give another quick shout out to the Calgary Flames who set a franchise record, excuse me, franchise record for shots in a game with 62 during their game versus the Columbus Blue Jackets. 
They are the 27th team since the NHL began tracking shots to record a 60-shot game, with 73 being the record set by the Boston Bruins during their game on March 21st, 1991, versus the Quebec Nautique. Fun fact, the goalie in net was Mr. Ron Tugnet, former third-line plug guest. Nice. Honestly, it's incredible how many historic moments Ron Tugnet was around for. I know. Like, and and we got to talk to him with about it. Yeah. It was great. I'd put him in the NHL Hall of Fame as goalie with the best stories. Right? But, man, the Columbus Blue Jackets have just had a really rough stretch of it lately. So, congrats on the Calgary Flames for taking advantage of it. And uh, we'll talk about the Senators being able to take advantage of that later on in this episode. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Now we're going to move away by giving some congratulations. And we got to talk about a very serious story that we covered earlier this season, but it's been a little while since we talked about it. So it has finally come to light. Vancouver Police Department have formally charged former Vancouver Canucks first round pick Jake Furtanen with one count of sexual assault for an incident that occurred in September of 2017. Bertanen, who is currently with Spartik Moscow of the KHL, spent parts of six seasons with Vancouver recording 55 goals, 45 assists for 100 points in 317 games. So this is interesting because if the if VPD laid charges, they think they have a case, which is scary. Yeah. Well, and of course, when we're talking about the Vancouver Canucks, when we talked about, I think it was Reed, was it Reed Boucher? Yeah. Last week with the 13-year-old girl, apparently now he's now boarding formally charged with that too. Oh, so he has another count against him? I think he's, I, I think the player itself had the same charge for the 13-year-old. I think he's being charged with that right now. Okay. That, but... That's what I kind of saw. We'll have to cover it next week on, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But you know what? Jake Furtanen was one of those guys that... As good of a player as he appeared to be, I think people kind of knew there were some character issues there. Yeah. And we definitely see him. The other thing with Jake for 10 and, and now that he's playing in the KHL, the, the question becomes, does he come willingly? Because I don't think Canada and Russia have extradition treaties. So... I would hope that Jake Furtanen comes to face the music. If there isn't an extradition treaty, then the Canadian and the Russians just decide not to give him up. Then there's nothing that can be done. No, that's kind of like with Evander Kane. If Evander Kane had gone to the KHL, then the Americans can tell him, and Russia can tell the Americans go fuck themselves at that point. Yeah, pretty much. And I just want to see justice be done here. Absolutely, man. So, you know, Tim, a couple of weeks ago when we had Mike Gould on the Mike Gould on the show, sorry, we were talking about the Arizona Coyotes and their arena situation. Well, the Arizona Coyotes appear that they might have a that might be using a new multi-purpose arena at the University of Arizona. Weird, I know. Arizona Coyotes we are kind advanced. Of talked to, about that. It's true, but you guys were talking about at the was it the memorial at the state fair. Yeah. But the other thing not- that we mentioned was ASU and both Mike and I wrote it off for what you're going to mention next. 
The Arizona Coyotes are in advanced discussion with Arizona State University to use their new multi-purpose arena as their temporary home for the next three to four years. The Coyotes are being forced out of the Gila River Arena at season's end. This How is big is that arena, Tay? Pray tell. 5,000. 5,000 5, seats. Or, as friend of the show Brad Marchant mentioned, 4,500 4, empty seats will be there. Well, it was interesting that other friend of the show, Adam, mentioned that he'd been to games at Arizona. It was like, man, it's a library in here. It is true. And again, I made my comments about Arizona. and It's sad, right? Places like Arizona, the locals don't do not care if you're not winning. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Arizona has a lot of transplants. So like, even when my dad went down to Arizona about 15, 16 years ago, and he walked around, I don't think he was in Glendale, it was like Scottsdale or Phoenix or one of those places. Yeah. You would have never, you never saw any coyote stuff. You didn't see diamondbacks, suns, cards. Really? The only thing that you saw were the sun doubles. And Dallas Cowboys stuff. Right. And the I get Cowboys the Cowboys are fucking huge. Holy shit. Huge in Arizona. But Arizona has their own team. Yeah. They're a relocated team. They're not an expansion team. Oh, that's not, that Actually, help. the Arizona Cardinals, fun fact, are the oldest NFL franchise. Really? Yeah. It's very oh, true. Who were they? Relo- where were they relocated from again? They played in Chicago. In St. Louis, Chicago, St. Louis. But it's funny. And I think when my dad went down there, I think the Phoenix Suns had a a big following down there at the time because of Steve Nash. Yeah, because they were winning. And it's funny because Steve Nash just won league MVP at the time. So when my dad went down there, the cabbie picks him up and he goes, oh, hey, where are you guys from? He goes, Victoria. Where's Victoria? And it just happened by they were just driving by this like 15 foot poster of Steve Nash. He points to him and goes, where Steve Nash is from. Oh, you're from Victoria from that, where that guy is from. <laughs> Based Cappy. No, that's funny. But yeah. And this is the thing is a lot of people are saying, would this fly in any other NHL market? No, I don't think so. No, but- <sighs> this is such a desperate attempt to try and save the Coyotes at this point. Here's the thing. Do you think the Coyotes could... Suppose the Coyotes sell out every game 5,000 seats. Can they make payroll? No. No. No, they I don't could. think so either, yeah. The only way they could do that is if they way jack up their price on the tickets. But you know what? And actually, speaking about the Cardinals, is that the Arizona Cardinals also had a big problem filling out their stadium when they played at Arizona state. They played with the sun doubles, but they played in sun devil stadium. Right. Which is a huge college stadium. I think you can look it up. If you want. I think it's like six or 70,000 seats. And yeah, they had trouble filling that building. And it's weird because like ASU is in a very nice place in the city. Like it's just East of downtown and it looks like it's reasonably well connected to it as well. Of course, Phoenix is a car city. So as yeah. long as you're near an interstate, you're fine. Yeah, I just think it's really funny that the Coyotes didn't actually go back to American Airlines Center or American wherever the Phoenix Suns play, because that's where they originally played out of. Yeah, maybe they weren't welcomed back. 
Yeah, maybe. I, I still wanted to see them play at the state fair. That would have uh, been sick. Now, the funny thing, I actually looked up some of the photos of the state fair arena. Uh, that would be cool. That would be really cool. And I agree with Mike. It would have been like a new Nassau Coliseum. It would have been a more an updated version of an old building. Yeah, that would have been sick. And hopefully that's still in the cards. Like they play a few years out of ASU while they upgrade the Coliseum, but man, that's going to be depressing. Yeah, it's true, man. I wonder if uh, you get a pass for the students at ASU. You know, maybe part of me is tempted now just to see like, just go and witness an NHL game in a 5,000 seat arena. You might have to do that. You might have to look into that for next season, Tim. Yeah, that would be. It would be such a bizarre thing. Go watch the Sens. Go watch. Yeah, go watch the Sens play in Phoenix. Yes, (laughs) it might be cheaper than watching the Sens play in Calgary. Yeah. Hey, you know what? If at least if you can get a seat in Arizona, you know that you know more likely to get one than in Ottawa. So yeah, yeah. So we're gonna move on, and we gotta give. Sorry, we don't have to get. We're going to talk about the Vancouver Canucks because they hired their 12th GM in franchise history and Patrick Elvane. Elvane previously worked for the Pittsburgh Penguins since 2006, serving as assistant GM since 2020. This is a cool hire because it's not another GM retread, which a lot of people were worried was going to happen when Jim Rutherford was named team president. Yeah. And I like this hiring because. The Penguins have been able to field a team that has been consistently competitive for the last 10 years. Sorry, last 15 even. Yep. And and they did it, it, and they did it under the salary cap restraints too, right? Yeah. So no, I think this is a great it's great to give new voices or people who are up and coming through the system a proving ground. And this is very cool and Vancouver's next hire is also really cool for that. It is really cool. Now, before we get into talking about that next hire, I really think that even the Montreal Canadiens with their hiring of their new GM, who's bilingual and Anglophone, he's from Montreal, speaks French, speaks English. It's really neat to see that teams are really starting to fully embrace the Blue Jackets method when it comes to front office hires. Yeah. And I think the Vancouver Canucks, Mike Gillis was also a player agent before they brought in Benning. He was, and he was also a former player too. Yeah. Just like Patrick Elvin. Yeah. So it's, I think the player agents tend to be pretty good GMs. Yeah. Well, and I think Columbus proved this like with Bill Zito and Kekalainen, where they proved that, you know what, if you have a really shrewd, really smart hockey guy at GM, you have a player's agent who could really help get these guys under team-friendly deals. Like, look at the blood, look at the Blue Jackets. They had Josh Anderson. You had Zach Rinsky. You had, you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois. You had all of these guys under very, very team-friendly. Cam Atkinson, they had them all yep. under team-friendly contracts in Columbus. And now you're, I think we're going to be seeing this in Vancouver too, right? Because they're they're going to need it. Yeah. Well, it'd be very interesting to see what Vancouver does at the trade deadline. 
because they're pressed right up to the cap with not a lot of options. We'll take Besser for a second. Yeah. He's from North Dakota. We'll take him. <laughs> so we do actually get to talk about the Vancouver Canucks and their next assistant GM because talk about a really shrewd move here. The Vancouver Canucks have named Emily Castaguay as the team's new assistant GM. Castaguay was previously a player agent whose clients include Antoine Roussel, Cedric Paquette, and Alexei Lafreniere. Yeah, this is cool as well. And it's interesting because Anton Roussel's the name that kind of peaked me off that I guess maybe Aquilinia has worked with Emily enough that, or Emil, I haven't actually heard the name said yet. That I think it's, it's Emil. Emil, that they have an idea of what, how his brain works at an analytical and structural and kind of structures method level. You mean her? Her, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good, that's a really good point. I mean, obviously if Aquilini has had worked with her in the past, especially with the Anton Roussel and some of the other names that played for the Canucks and Patrick Alvin, of course, with the Pittsburgh Penguins who he's been involved with the last three of the Penguin cup wins. So, you know, it's really great to see that NHL teams are not, and I totally agree with you that they're not going with retreads. They're going with these new blood, new voices, new ways of doing things. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm all here for it. And it's always sad to see the Canucks suck. Yeah. Because, and I think even in 2020, when they went on that good playoff run, I think it was really a, wow. You know, cause the Canucks had kind of teetered for a little while there and it looked like, Oh, where are they going to go? But then, you know, Besser comes out of Besser really has a great year. Patterson comes out of nowhere. You see the team really forming and it just all falls apart. Yeah. It looks, and I, in the early returns, there was, there might've been a coaching problem with Travis Green being a good AHL coach, but not a great NHL coach. Had just a week, and Pedersen's kind of turned a bit of a leaf here. And that's definitely something to watch. Yeah. I still really hope that when the Sens play the Canucks in April, I still want to bring the sign that says Zub. There it is. So what happened with your tickets? Are they just straight up canceled or are they postponed to the later date? Straight up canceled. Shit. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Shitty, but you know, hopefully I'll have to look in some tickets for April. Now talking about shitty, we got to talk about the big signing of the week and this is why nobody respects you, Edmonton. <laughs> Edmonton Oilers have signed Evander Kane to a one-year $1.375 million contract with a $2.108 million cap hit. Kane recorded two goals, six assists for eight points in five games for the American Hockey League's San Jose Barracuda this season. Wow. Fucking desperate. Wow. Just, just wow, Edmonton. Really? They weren't even subtle about it either, eh? No. Like, for the whole week before this episode and the whole week before the signing, everyone's like, yeah, yeah, no, we'll give him a second chance. You got the players saying, well, if he's one of our guys, he's one of our guys, blah, 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 blah. And everyone's like, okay, fine. We know who's signing him. 
And to be fair to Edmonton, they've never really shied away from reclamation projects. True. They're kind of like the Sens in that way. Yeah. So this isn't out of character for them. And you can question how well they work out, especially a la Zach Cassian. It's true, but I, I, yeah, I don't know, man. Evander Kane really is like the Antonio Brown of the, the NHL. That's exactly what he is. But I honestly thought there's no way a team's going to sign him. Too much of a locker room cancer, too much of a head case. And Edmonton's just like, hold my beer. The hard thing with Kane is just, if he's not finishing, he's not doing you any favors. Because he's a defensive liability. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, got, I got nothing to say here, man. So I think we should just move on to the next story. And we're going to talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins because the Pittsburgh Penguins have re-signed for Jeff Carter to a two-year, $6.25 million contract with an AAV, 3.125. Carter, drafted 11th overall by the Philadelphia Flyers in 2003, has had recorded 12 goals, 14 assists for 26 points in 36 games for Pittsburgh at the time of the story. You know how we were talking about how Daniel Alfred seemed, seemed almost ageless? Jeff Here's Carter. another guy who, when it looks like his goose is about cooked, he just gets traded and is all of a sudden completely resuscitated. And I think that's one of the things I really liked about the Carter. Carter's moved to Pittsburgh, and I really praised it at the time because, again, Carter was going from a situation in Los Angeles where the team was really going through a rebuild. They really didn't have the offensive talent around him. He goes to Pittsburgh, and now he's being played – I don't even think they're playing him as a forward. I think they're playing him as a three C something like that. Yeah. So you're, so you're playing insulated minutes on a team where you have Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. Yeah. Because yeah, he's mostly playing with Gensel and Heinen. So yeah, you're playing insulin insulated minutes and it's working very well for him. Like the fancy stats are on his side, despite him being 37. And his finishing is coming back more towards the career mode. So normally I'd be a little leery of signing a 37 year old to a two year contract, but Jeff Carter looks like a guy who can continue to give you good minutes. Like he's playing 20 minutes a game in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And that's what, and until I, he's 40. again, and this is what I was always saying. And I, I do agree with what you're saying there, Tim is that I would say the same thing. But if Jeff Carter wasn't producing, I would say, what are you doing? But the fact is he's still producing, he's playing isolated minutes. And you know what? It's funny for a guy who got drafted by Philadelphia, who would have thought his career would probably end in Pittsburgh. Uh, someone who likes chaos, Tay, someone who likes chaos. I know. I always liked Jeff Carter as a player, man. I really, really did. He just seems that kind of very steady centerman, wasn't going to overly wow you, but when you watched him, you're like, well, this is a really fairly good hockey player. Well, just he, he was part of that hard party Philadelphia team. And then the LA Kings, two cups. Yep. He was also a blue jacket too. That did not work out. 
Yeah, he was brought in for Rick Nash, and both of them were gone at the end of the year. They just, yeah, I was surprised that they just couldn't get on. Yep, but it is what it is, Tim. Now, Tim, we're going to close up top of the hour by talking about the Ottawa Senators. Now, the Ottawa Senators have re-signed defenseman Nick Holden to a one-year, $1.3 million contract. Holden had recorded one goal, three assists for four points in 30 games for Ottawa at the time of the story. I I like this signing, to be honest. I'm all right with it. Because Nick Holden is the type of veteran you want around. Uh, Like, to see how good he is in the room. Go back to, I believe it was the victory over Buffalo where they had, where Nick Holden hands Austin Watson, the helmet for three years sober. Yeah. And it's funny. I, we were going to, I was actually going to mention that in the Sabres game, but no, that's a really, really great point. And, you know, I totally agree with that. And I think it's really cool that Austin Watson made it to three years, because again, if you go back and listen to top of the hour over the last couple of years, Austin Watson was a guy that we talked about quite consistently. And we said, man, we really, really hope this guy would get his life together. Right. And then he signs in Ottawa and we're thinking, okay, I'm willing to give him a shot. I'm willing to give him a chance. Yeah. Not everybody was willing to do it. Well, I remember Trevor Shack. We had Trevor Shackles on and he was, he was the same thing. It was, uh, we hope that he turns it around, but can he? And three years sober. That's hard. Yeah, so good on him, man. Good on him. Now, we got to talk about the big, big story here. Now, I got to ask you, do you want to talk about this here or do you want to save it for the Sabres game? Uh, We can talk about the... Yeah, let's talk about it here. Okay. Buffalo Sabres goaltender Aaron Dell has been suspended three games for interference against Ottawa Senators forward Drake Batherson. Dell, who also forfeited $11,250, is not a repeat offender. And guess what happened to him? He got waved. Lol. Yep. Well, the thing is, is Aaron Dell was not good this season. Aaron Dell has a history of throwing hits, which as a goalie is a no-no. You don't do that. Unless you're Ron Hextall. Unless you're Ron Hextall. And this time, he picked an incredibly bad, 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 bad time to try it. Frankly, he's lucky that he didn't do more to Batherson. Yeah, he's lucky the Sens didn't go after him. Well, that took incredible restraint by DJ Smith. Yeah, and the players themselves, right? And Brady could have taken a run at him. Austin Watson could have taken a run at him. The entire team could have taken a run at him. But, you know, and it's one of these things where I talked to my cousin about this. And I'm going to bring up this text message from him. Because when this happened, I because my cousin played goalie for a lot of years. And I wanted to get his take on this. And so basically here is the tweet. Is it right here? I said, okay, so here's the text I sent him. Hey, so let me ask you something. Back in the day when you played hockey, if you came out of the net to hit somebody and they got hurt, is the understanding that goalies don't get hit out the window and now you're open season to be hit? Question mark. Asking because Batherson got injured last day from Aaron Dell. Cousin answered. Great question. Technically speaking, you don't try to hit the goalie or else the entire team goes after you. But by the rules, you can hit the goalie if they come out to play the puck. If they are in the act of trying to make a save, it is a penalty. Playing the puck means no call slash free game to hit them. Right. Well, the, the big thing is it's just nobody expects the goalie to come out and hit you. 
No. And this is not the first time he's done it. No. Like the Mark Stone hit is the one that's been cycling social media. Yeah. Or the hit against Nashville. I think probably the most telling thing about this is that Austin Watson gives Aaron Dell a snow shower later in the game and not a single saber stands up for him. Yep. That I think was what was really telling that even his teammates weren't willing to stick up for him after that. It's true. It's like, they're not going to run you, but you deserve what you get. Absolutely. And I do want to make a quick comment here because Wally and Mathot, well, I miss a good friends, Wally and Mathot. So they had former Sabre and actually former Ottawa Senator, Rob Ray. Yeah. Rob Ray does a lot of TV stuff for the Sabres. Apparently they were talking about Aaron Dell. Aaron's apparently a really good guy off the ice. This was their sixth goaltender they've been through this season. Here's the funny thing. Last season, they went through seven. They all, so for their game in Arizona, if Craig Anderson was not ready to go, they did not have another goaltender on contract. They would have to go to ASU and sign a kid. Pretty, yeah, they would have had to have an EBIT or use the arena's e-backup. Because I think... Yeah, well, they still had four contract spots, so they could just sign a kid. But that's that's really something. I know. I wonder if Scott Darling, not Scott Darling, um, the Zamboni driver for Toronto. Oh, Ayers? Yeah, David Ayers. I wonder if he was around. He could play for Buffalo. Yeah, holy shit, look at Buffalo's goalie graveyard. I uh, know. God, and here we just thought Buffalo was where careers died, just not for goaltenders. No, they just get injured. True. Well, Tim, that wraps up top of the hour for this week, which should mean only one thing. It's time to start talking about some games. So we got four games on the schedule. We've got the Sens versus the Blue Jackets, Sabres versus the Sens, Hurricanes versus the Sens, and the Ducks versus the Sens. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Sens versus the Blue Jackets. This is a two to one Sens victory. Senators goals are scored by Artem Zub and Tim Stutzla. Blue Jackets goals are scored by Sean Corrali. Shots were 36 33 for the Blue Jackets. Artem Zub opens the scoring to make it 1-0 Senators on a point shot. Sean Corrale taps, taps it home to make it a 1-1 game. And Tim Stutzla with the nifty move to deke the goalie out and score to make it 2-1 Ottawa, which would be the final. Now, I had to condense watch this, as I said on last week's episode. I was playing the Staff Student Hockey game. Timmy Stutzla. One was- goal on one shot. God, that was so, such a nice move. That better have been on Sports Center the next morning. Cause sheesh. I know, as you can see, it's still my background. Like just deked everyone and right? God, that was such a nice, nice move. And the thing is that he had the veteran mindset. He made a little deke before he before he went from like his forehand to his backhand and popped it in. Yeah, that was chef's kiss. And 
watching Stutzla grow and just become such a patient, coordinated player over the last year has been a treat. There's another Ottawa's first goal in uh, the game they are currently playing against Edmonton. It's the same thing, even though he doesn't get credit for the goal. Stutzla waiting for a puck to drop below the crossbar before he tries to hit it. That's veteran shit. And he's 20. Yep. Yeah, he's going to be worth a lot, a lot of money next year, man, when he goes in to get his big boy contract. Yeah. Well, now, what's also nice about that goal, Tim, and I mentioned this on last week's episode, Elvis Merlikens. I really like the baby blue setup he was rocking in that game. Oh, the electric blue plaids? It Those really, are so really nice. Worked. It, the pillows and the blocker and the glove. It really such a great contrast to like that dark, dark blue jersey that they're wearing. Yeah, no kidding. Can I actually make one comment about the Blue Jackets, Tim? Yes. No, because over the last couple of years, the NHL and the NHL teams have been doing their redesigns of their jerseys and their logos. Is the Columbus Blue Jackets the one team when you look at their main logo? Is that the main team that needs a makeover? It's hard to say. I'm not a fan of it. I'm but really not a fan of it. I I don't. They haven't had a good one. The only one that could have been interesting is if they had the the bug, the bug with the Confederate with the or the the Union, the Union. Yeah, thank you. The Union with the hockey stick, very yeah. cool. I think yeah, it would have been very dated, but you know what? It would have been a really cool design. Yeah, because their first logo where it just said CBJ with the stick that was uh not great. The star logo is better. I guess because like it, it, but it really is just the flag of Ohio wrapped around a star. It is a little tough unless you want to go into like very aggressive military themes because the blue jackets are a reference to the union army. Yeah. Well, the Vegas Golden Knights do it. Yeah. At least with the Vegas Golden Knights, you can go to like medieval imagery if you want Mm -hmm. without being full in on the fact that the golden knights are the army teams but with the blue jackets it's just it's there it's the union army yeah the jersey itself is not bad no it's a good it's a good jersey you know what it would be you could kind of work in elements because like the u.s army blues from the 1800s through to the 20th century it's a very good looking uniform Mm-hmm. You could probably take you could probably take the cap and work with that. You could, and of course, Ohio, like Pennsylvania, was known as steel country too. Yeah, so you can definitely work something of that in as well, right? Yeah, like you could probably work something with the cap and the flag of Ohio if you wanted to keep the Ohio motif in there. Yeah, absolutely, man. But you know what? Unfortunately, we're not in a position to make those calls, so we're going to move on and talk about Artem Zub. One goal and one zot. That's all I have. What zot? Zub. <laughs> oh, that it was a laser too, eh? It was. It really, really was. Now, the last guy I want to talk about is Tyler Ennis. Now, he had an assist and six shots in this game, and I was actually kind of surprised he didn't bury one in this game. Yeah, because he was all over the place. He was. And especially in the next game, we got to talk about... Well, we'll get to that then. So 
do you want to move on to the second game? Because I really don't have anything really to say on this game, to be honest. With it you. was honestly a bit of a drag of a game. The next game, we've already started talk. We already talked about the big deal in this game. So let's talk about our short king. Sabres versus Senators. This is a 5 nothing Senators shutout victory. Sens goes to scored by Tyler Ennis with the hat trick. Tim Stutzla and Alex for Munnington. Shots were 47-32 for Ottawa. Ottawa dominated Buffalo throughout this game. Buffalo started off the game playing Ottawa with their breakout passes and slick breakout plays and slick passes. However, Ottawa would get their game going as they would score three in the first and add two more to secure them the W. So we did talk about the Arendelle on Batherson. And yes, it was an incredibly dangerous play. Bath got injured. Dell got suspended three games. The one thing we didn't mention though, Mike yeah. Johnson was so fired up in that call. He was ready to go down and smack a motherfucker. As he should be. Like yep. that is such a dangerous hit. Like, holy shit. Like, Mike Johnson's like, no, that's... Like, you even had Gord trying to play devil's advocate a bit, mm. and Mike Johnson was not having it. Nope. And good for Mike Johnson. Dylan Gambrell is also injured in the game. He was. And it's a shame, because Dylan Gambrell has been playing quite well in that fourth line role over the past 10 games or so. And it was nice to see a waiver wire pickup kind of develop into a useful player Mm -hmm. as we've seen with Adam Gaudet and Gaudet's been a fantastic pickup so far for the senators so far, but yeah. So Gambrell only got two shifts before he was injured. Batherson got maybe five. So the Ottawa senators absolutely destroyed the Buffalo Sabres with 18 skaters. Yep. And one of the big, big skaters for them, Tyler Ennis, the hat trick on six shots. I did not realize he had not scored since opening against Toronto. How? The commentators made sure to remind you every time he scored. I know. And it wasn't until the first goal. I didn't really think about that. I thought he had scored at least once. And what's funny is those were all great goals. He got right and close, either a nice tip or just a really nice snapper. So it was great goals by Tyler Ennis. And holy shit, the Sabres looked bad. Yeah, this was the, I think this was the game where Tyler Ennis, he did like the reverse spinorama and shot it in, wasn't it? Yeah, this is a game where Josh Brown looked elite. Like we're talking 85% expected goals rate for Josh Frickin' Brown. Yeah. Like, Buffalo, they couldn't string two passes together. Like, going into this game, seeing that Eric Brandstrom was on the COVID list, and then watching Batherson go out, watching Gambrell go out, I was like, oh, this could get bad. And then Buffalo just never answered the bell. And what's crazy is, despite letting in five goals and looking like a goofball, Aaron Dell still managed to have a point a 0.90 save percentage. Like, actually insanity. Like, Buffalo gave him absolutely nothing. They didn't. Unlike Matt Murray, who had a 32-save shutout, really held Ottawa in it the first period, and overall it just looked really solid. To be fair, for the Ottawa defense, 
after like that first two minutes, Murray had a pretty easy evening after that. That's fair, but still, he looked pretty solid for what. Of course, saying. it's. But at the same time, it's not very often you see a team get a, a thirty-two save shutout, and the goalie's not one of the three stars. Yeah, no, yeah, it's interesting for sure, man. Because the Ottawa Senators just took it to Buffalo, and is there anyone else that you really want to talk about? Because I mean, this was just a full team effort. Yeah. I, one guy I do want to mention now we did mention he was three years sober on that game. Austin Watson, six shots. Yeah. He was dialed in. Yeah. And I think we already mentioned Brady with a career high 12 shots and he had one assist. Yeah. And could you imagine if he set the team record for shots in a game with 13? What if he had scored on the 13th? Damn. I would have wanted to see Aaron Dell chase from the net. But then again, who would Buffalo put in at that point? Shooter tutor. Shooter tutor. The shooter tutor would have done better. That's true. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't really have any more guys to talk about. I do want to give a shout out to Sens DJ Alex Marchand. All right. I really, really liked his song selection for this game. Honestly, yeah. He's he's always good for that, though. He's like, been on it this year. He's really been on it. I've Shout out to Alex, man. He's like been doing really great here. Because here's some of the songs I noticed. So he, he played one of the Foo Fighters songs. And it wasn't like a Foo Fighters song like, you know, Learn to Fly or one of the, like the big singles. It was a single off their first. It was a one of the songs off their first album. I th- or Sorry, the second album. I think it was called Enough Space. Uh, f- the Color and the Shape of their second album. Yeah. Really great song. I can't confirm that. I couldn't really tell, but I think it was, I'm sure it was that. He also played I'm Broken by Pantera. Great song off probably, I think one of my favorite, one of the better Pantera albums, Far Beyond Driven. Not not the best by any means, but still pretty good one. Okay. And of course, Annie Up, M.O.P. Nice. That I, As soon as I heard that, I was like, oh man, I have not thought of that song in so long. I was like, yes. That's so good. You've done good, Marshawn. You've done well. Now, the only thing left is for him to play Deja Vu from Initial D. Yep. <laughs> hey, Rex, send him a tweet, man. Suggest yeah. it. Yeah. Hurricanes, there's a Senator. This is a 3-2 Hurricanes shootout victory. Hurricanes goals scored by Derek Stefan and Nino Nina Ryder. Sends goals scored by Nick Paul and Alex Formanton. Shots were 39-29 for Ottawa. Derek Stefan opens the scoring to make it 1-0 Hurricanes on a tip. Nick Paul gets Ottawa on the board to tie the game at 1 after D'Angelo kicks the puck in. Alex Formanton tips in the point shot to make it 2-1 Senators. Nina Ryder times the game at 2, and then the Hurricanes win it in the shootout. So... I know before we hit record, I did mention I watched this. I actually didn't see that. I forgot. I actually condensed watched it. I was working on a few things, including the next Great White Experience episode, which nice. I think I'll talk about next week. So, you know how in our last game we were talking about Drake Bathory getting injured? Josh Norris. Why um, is this fucking team cursed? Here's the thing about the Norris one is that was just a weird play. Like, it was a freak accident. Nothing more, nothing less. Yeah. And then it looked like Tim Stutzel almost did the same thing against the Ducks. Yeah. So this has just been a brutal run, especially because the Ottawa top line is 
one of the top 10 in the league right now. Yeah. So losing two of the three players in that top 10 is that's going to set any team back. The senders battled back admirably in this game. Like Carolina came out hot in the first period. Ottawa was able to weather the storm a bit and then match intensity in the second and third period. So I do have a couple of guys here I want to talk about. Now, again, I want to talk about Matt Murray, who had another fantastic start in this one with 27 saves and a .931 save percentage. No, Matt Murray in his in all three of his starts this week has been good. And it's good to see that Matt Murray has been able to consistently string good games together. And it looks like he's doing it again tonight against Edmonton. We'll talk about that next week. So. Matt, if Matt Murray can play the rest of the season like this and come into next season playing like this, I think Ottawa's goaltending issue works itself out. And it's not the way that anyone was foreseeing it happening. And man, the Murray trade would look very good if Matt Murray does emerge as a true number one center, sorry, true number one goaltender, because that trade took fucking nuts. Yep. It really did. It really, really did. And we commented about it again when we lost Craig Anderson. And I said, if Pierre Dorian hadn't made this deal, he'd be right for criticism. Yeah. But no, I've really liked Matt Murray. It's really good to see he's found some confidence in this one. Now, another guy who looked really good in this one, Alex Formanton, one goal on three shots. He, Alex Formington, over the last 20 games, the hands have matched the feet and the brains. And Alex Formington and Tim Stutzla as a line duo will eat pretty much most of what the league, the other league's second lines will throw at them. Imagine when Connor Brown gets back. And Shane Pinto. And Shane Pinto, yeah. So that is a that is a duo that I want to see stick together because I think Formington is a legitimate top six NHLer. Me too. Me too. And he really has emerged in the first half, which has really been nice. Now, last guy I want to talk about was Nick Paul, who had a goal and five shots. Honestly, it's just it's always great to see Nick Paul get on the board for the Senators. Well, especially now with Nick Paul's points for Paul campaign where every point Nick Paul scores, he's going to give 150 bucks to charity. Yeah. And another great charity that you can support instead of the Bella Stock Day. Yep. So uh, I've pledged five bucks along with Nick Paul. So every point Nick Paul puts in is a $5 for the Senators Foundation. Fantastic, man. Fantastic. So Tim, I don't have any more comments to make on this game. If you want to head into the fourth and final game of the evening. Man, I forgot why I hated shootouts just because the Suns haven't played a lot of them. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't very fun to watch. Ducks versus Senators. This is a two-to-one Ducks victory. Ducks goals were scored by Ricard Raquel and Troy Terry, and Tyler Ennis had the lone Sens goal. Shots were 45-20 for Ottawa. Now, Tim, you know how I always have an, a recap for this for the games, and I always say, this is this, this is this, this is this. This is all I have. John Gibson absolutely killed Ottawa on this one. Yeah, because the Ducks 
did not give John Gibson very much. Ottawa was getting an insane quantity and quality of shots. Mm-hmm. Like everything was coming down low and they were moving him around the crease and Gibson had an afternoon despite and it, and the goal that Ennis scored was a thing of beauty too. Rickard this is a game where Anton Forsberg lost it for the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, that softy he let in, that's a killer. But honestly, he he had some good saves in this one. But John Gibson really, really was the difference maker in this one. Yeah. And one thing that I was really happy to see is just the how well the Ottawa Senators bounce back after an opening period softy. Yeah. With an immediate response. It's true. Now, I only got two guys of mention on this one. So let's start with Alex Formerton. Six shots. I thought he looked fantastic in this one. The guy was absolutely flying out there with the puck. Well, yeah. And his scoring chances were varied, interesting, and he absolutely got robbed in close twice. Alex Formington should have had a goal that game. Nick Paul got robbed on two occasions. Nick Paul should have had a goal. He should have. But one, and now obviously Tyler Rennes wasn't robbed, but I do want to talk about Lassie Thompson. That pass to Ennis. <laughs> Chef's kiss. I mean, you want to talk about just a pin perfect pass. Yeah. And if the Ottawa Senators, like, here's the thing between Shabbat and Brant, Shabbat Brandstrom, and if Lassie Thompson is another guy who can make passes like that, the Ottawa Senators are going to be able to very effectively get out of their own zone, which is something that the Ottawa, you haven't been able to say about the Ottawa Senators in the last five years easy like this is a team like once you get us sanderson in who's another guy who can work miracles with the breakout Mm -hmm. the ottawa transition will be very hard to stop which is something i'm very excited for and you could see it on full display against the anaheim against the anaheim ducks where ottawa is just stretching them out and you had like Shabbat, Thompson, and Holden were picking off passes at will. The only other comment I got to this game, and I always bring this up anytime the Anaheim Ducks are mentioned, I don't care what anybody says. I really, really like the Anaheim Duck jerseys. They are nice. I actually saw one in person yesterday. Really? The it was the home black. Oh, okay. Really that is nice. A, really that is nice a smart jersey. jersey. Yeah. And I actually saw in a way Seattle Kraken jersey for the first time too in person. Huh. I still haven't seen a Seattle jersey in person yet. I think I've seen a hat. They're not bad looking, actually. The whites really, really pop. Oh, oh, that's good. Yeah, the whites really I don't like the the dark ones. You know, with like I said, blue on navy blue, on red, on teal, on aqua. It's just like, come on, dude, really. You know, you have other colors. I know. And obviously, I mean, they couldn't go blue and green because the Canucks and blue and green usually is for like the Mariners and the Seahawks where you couldn't go for red because those are cougar colors, purple and gold. You can't do it because they're husky colors. You're kind of limited in Seattle, right? That's true. They could bust out the old Supersonics palette. 
green and brown. <laughs> no, it's green and like bright yellow. Yeah, well, let's not do that. Fucking North Star colors. Low key. I've, I've never liked the North Star jerseys. Nope. No, and everybody says, oh, yeah, they're such a classic. I don't like them. I really don't like the look of those jerseys. Actually, low key. So Sergei Zuboff also had his number 56 retired by the Dallas Stars. Yep. For pregame warm-up, they had the, you know, like the green star with the Dallas Star jersey from like the late 90s. Man, those look nice in the Adidas look. It's a great color combo too, eh? Yeah, it's one that really fits. It's such an eye-popping, really distinct. Obviously, Dallas had black originally when they went to Dallas, and then they went to like the, was it forest green or whatever color they use right now? Yeah, but it's like, I really like, I really liked that purple. Like, purple and green just go together. Mm-hmm. Like, I wish more teams had more experimental or more varied colors. Because, like, as much as I like red, white, blue with a hint of black, there's a lot of teams, I'd say about half the teams in the NHL have those as their primary colors. Or they're bringing them back, like Buffalo. Or Buffalo, yeah. No, let's work with some of the other colors we got here. Fair enough. So, Tim, I don't have any more comments to make on this game. If you want to head off to the close for another episode. Yeah, let's wrap her up. Thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug, Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it, because believe me, Tim and I love recording up for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network. You can find our links to iTunes. Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter at Third Lane Plugs or Twitter handle. Tim is at MNA on Honey Badger and I'm at Great White Gipster, GR8, WYTE Gipster. If you want to choose an email to talk about the games, top of the hour, or you also want to give some shout out or some comments on retro jerseys, shoot us an email, ThirdLinePlugsSense guys at gmail.com. Okay, Tim, so for this coming week, we don't have four games. We've got two games to talk about. Right. We got All-Star break coming up. That is true. So for the games of the week, Tim, we've got this evening's game versus the Edmonton Oilers at home, which I'm happy to say the Ottawa Senators won it in overtime by a goal by Tim Stutzla. Get fucked, Oilers. And Tuesday, we'll be in Long Island. Play the Islanders. I know this isn't Senators related, but New Jersey coughed up a two-goal lead on Toronto in the third period. Toronto hugged four to win it. That's amazing. What the hell? Ah, <laughs> oh, great stuff. Good stuff, Tim. Love to see it. Until next week, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go Sens, guys. Woo! Stars above you What are you holding on?